right. It has been said that everything in this world rises and it falls on leadership. Right, over the last decade, we've seen the exponential growth of social media, haven't we? Let's just be honest, whether we like it or not, we've seen a huge growth in social media. According to the We Are Social report, get this, 3.5 billion people actively use social media in today's world. 3.5 billion people. That's like almost 45% of the world's population. I'm not good at math. You check me later. All right? This social media boom has given rise to a new kind of leader in today's world. All right? Can you guess what it is? The social media influencer. All right? we, we all know what we're talking about right now. Before you roll your eyes, I want you to understand just the power that these social media influencers have uh, in this world. Uh, on us even. Companies are bringing in social media influencers to lead people to their products in droves. Right? The, the, the business intelligence platform Statista found that the entire influencer marketing industry is worth almost $21.1 billion. And it's estimated that in 2024, brands, different brands, will spend around $7.14 billion on influence marketing alone. Heck, we, we even do it, right? Uh, we, we talked about, like, Christina announced the Super Bowl Sunday that we're having in a couple weeks, and we have Joe Theismann doing a video for us. Now, he luckily didn't charge us, right? <laughs> right? But, but we all know all this stuff going on with social media influence. Influencers can make anywhere from $2 for a post uh, to a, for about a product, all the way up to influencers who are demanding a little bit more than just $2. For example, uh, soccer player Cristiano Ronaldo. Ronaldo. I can't even say it. Ronaldo. <laughs> Thank you. See, we all know him. Right? He charges $2.3 million per sponsored post. $2.3 million per sponsored post. Uh, the reality star Kylie Jenner is said to charge around $1.8 million for a sponsored post. Right? And just how influential are these social media influencers? Right? Look at this just for an example, just this one little example. At the intersection of social media influencers and fast food chains and places lives something called the secret menu item. All right? At Starbucks, you've heard all the different secret menu items at Starbucks or at Dairy Queen. Right? Influencers are making videos about food combinations that have they discovered and they wanted everyone to know about it. And these secret menu items can get a little crazy. For example, one TikTok user created a video of her customized Waffle House order. And the order was a Texas bacon melt with waffles instead of bread. Now, I admit, I would be influenced <laughs> to buy that, right? Sounds pretty amazing, right? But listen, this, this little trend literally was shutting down the supply chain of waffle mix in the South. Not just for Waffle House, but for grocery stores all across the country. There was a short because people were getting this sandwich made. Right? It was literally shutting down the supply chain. Now, before you think this entire sermon is going to be about the pitfalls of social media, <laughs> let me say this. I'm, I'm saying this just to, to get this context. 
The bottom line is that leadership in its purest form is influence. All right, that, that's the context. That's the base of what I was trying to communicate here. Right? We live in times of great cynicism of leaders, from politicians to leaders in business and entertainment to, to spiritual leaders. We find ourselves surrounded by stories of leadership failures. Right? Yet, even in our ongoing suspicions, we cannot be done with the idea of leadership. Thank you. We can't be done with the idea that leadership is essential, that it's important, because we're all being influenced by something. Look around at the clothes that we're wearing, right? Uh, the, the styles of clothing that we are wearing, and the phones that you're using, and the apps that we scroll through. Uh, we are all influenced, even the ones of us that think, I'm not influenced. I'm my own man. Okay. All right, we're all being led by something. And on the other side of that coin, the same coin, even if you don't know it, we're all leading someone else. Aren't we? All right, we're all leading someone else. Every one of us had a sphere of influence, from the youngest of us to the oldest of us. Every one of us has someone that is following us, or that is watching us, or that is looking to us. And so the question today is this, are you worth following? Right? Are you worth following? Are we worth following? If we are all leaders, and we just are by, by today's standards, if, if we're all influencing something or someone as time, what are we leading them toward? What, what are we trying to help them grasp? What are we influencing uh, them to do? You know, one of my, my favorite leaders of all time is Ulysses S. Grant. And there's a story about his leadership during the Civil War. Before uh, Abraham Lincoln, the president, put Grant in charge of the Union Army, the Union Army was, was following this pattern of going south into Virginia, into the Confederate Army territory. They would suffer a huge defeat, and then they would withdraw northward to conduct endless marching drills and meaningless grand reviews. They would do anything to avoid uh, striking a serious blow at the enemy. They, they would avoid going south. All right, that all changed when Lincoln put Grant in charge. Uh, journalist uh, Michael Keelan describes the immediate impact the new general made on his army who was conditioned for defeat at that time. As this journalist rode with them. He says this, in May 1864, a horrible two-day battle ensued with many wounded burning to death when the woods caught fire. Right, the, the journalist, he kept on going. He said the fight was a standoff, but so costly to the north, a union withdrawal was expected, just like all the others. And then on the, the rainy night after the, the close of battle, the weary soldiers of the battered Union army were slogging along, believing they were once again going to retreat. And as they had done time after time again in Virginia since the very first battle of Bull Run three years before. But instead, he writes this. He said, instead, at the crossroads, they encountered the muddy, unkept figure of their new commanding general who sat upon a horse, I imagine with a cigar in his mouth, <laughs> who sat upon a horse blocking the road north 
directing the troops onto another uh, troops onto another field that led south and east and eventually to Richmond. Right? I, I hear this story and I picture General Grant sopping wet, sitting on his horse, mud up to the horse's stomach, a big cigar in his mouth, blocking the retreat. And, and I picture this and I get excited. I get pumped up, right? This is the kind of leader that I want to be. This is the kind of influence that I want to have, one that turns people who are used to retreating back into the fight, who turns them back onward towards victory and towards a righteous cause, not just hanging their head. But here's the thing, Foundry Church. I wonder, am I more like the generals who were before Grant? kind of running away from the fight, busying myself with everything but actually achieving the goal, doing my best just to survive and leading other people to do the same, to survive instead of thrive. And so again, the question is, is how can I be a leader who's worth following? How can I be uh, someone who's worth following? Well, not to surprise anybody here, but with most things, I think the answer lies in God's word, right? And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we're going to be at today. Uh, Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament. Use the table of contents if you need to. No worries there. The, the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, those Bibles you can take. We're not going to put the scripture up on the, the, the screen, just the reference there. So use those Bibles seats in front of you. Those are free for you to take, to use, to give away, to have. Deuteronomy 6 is where we're going to be. And as you're turning there, let me just give you a little bit of context. Let me serve it up here. So the book of Deuteronomy is an interesting book, especially from the viewpoint of your pastor. right? Be- because this book is essentially a really, really long sermon. All right? Read it in its entirety and be happy. <laughs> that I preach the length that I do. You see, the the Israelites through Exodus, through Leviticus, through Numbers, these other books of the Bible, have lived this extraordinary journey with God, this adventurous, abundant, aggressive life, the life that we're called to live, a, a forged life. And they stand at the door of the promised land that God was going to give them. They're standing right there. The journey is almost complete. They've almost made it to the goal. The battle, right, is almost won. But Moses, their leader, was not going to go with them into this promised land. right? And so as he stands with them at the doorstep, in the threshold of this promise from God that went all the way back to Father Abraham, he gives them one last message. He gives them one last sermon. The people had followed him to this point, and everything was about to change for them. And Moses has one last chance to influence the people, the chosen people of God. And so he makes this farewell speech, his last sermon, if you will. The, the word Deuteronomy actually means second law. If you're taking notes, write that down. Second law is what Deuteronomy means. And that makes sense because Moses uses this last chance to influence the Israelites by retelling the story of God's people from their exodus 
out of slavery into Egypt, right, out of Egypt, and up, up, and up to their journey to receiving the Ten Commandments, the law. He's, he's retelling the story, the, the retelling of how they got this law, this commandment with God. And, and so this is how he recaps all this, or what he says after he recaps all this. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, read it here with me. It says, now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. So verse 3 says this, it says, Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in the land flowing with milk and honey. All right, keep your finger right there. All right, so Moses, he starts this section of his sermon by saying, now that we all have received those commandments, the Big Ten, right? We know the law. Let me be clear. I've restated it. Let me be clear now. There is no way for us, there's no way for us to go forward into the promised land if we do not take with us obedience to God. Obedience to God must be taken with us, right? Moses has reminded them of every step of their journey, steps that their parents took even, right? They, they went out of slavery. They went through the Red Sea. They were running from the Egyptian soldiers. They went through the desert for days and weeks. They went to a mountain. They lost their way. They messed up. They struggled, and they wandered the desert for 40 more years, and all the while, Moses was in front of them, leading the way. And now when they're at the front door of the promised land, Moses says, you weren't following me. Don't kid yourself. Don't mistake it. You weren't following me. You were following God. He's saying, you want the next couple of steps to go well for you in this promised land as you settle it, as you, as you come into it and make it your own? He says, follow God. Obey. You want to multiply greatly. You want to become a great nation like God has promised you. He says, follow God, obey. And he's saying, you want to live and you want to thrive. You want to put down roots in a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Follow God, obey. Forget about me. Forget about me, he says. Follow God, obey. And then if that wasn't clear enough, he says this, in verses 4 through 5, let's read it together. All right, and you're going to want to underline this in your Bible. Verse 4 says, Hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. Now, this section of Scripture is sometimes called the, the all-command the all command because of the three uses of the word all, right? Very complicated, right? <laughs> right? So it's the all command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with 
all your soul and with all of your might. This has been Moses' secret Big Mac sauce from the very beginning, right? right? All along, this was his secret. Loving the Lord his God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his might. The Israelites followed Moses because he was following God with everything, all of his heart, all of his soul, and all of his might. So we, our question, right, the onion that we wanted to peel today is, we want to grow into a leader who's worth following. Well then, we follow God with all of our heart. That's true leadership. That's the only way we can lead. We follow God with all of our heart and all of our soul and with all of our might. Look at it like this. Leading well means following with all that we have. Leading well means that we're following with all that we have, with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our might, with all that we've got. And I'm going to repeat it and repeat it until we get it, right? Right, let's break it down real quick. Let's peel this onion. Let's start with the heart. Right, how do we love God with all of our heart? You ever thought about that? It's a weird thing to think about, but, but, but everything, right, it flows from the heart. It all starts here, right? So to be someone with, worth following, we need to start with our heart as well. This week, I was feeling a little sick, as many of us are, and my, my throat was sore, and I had a few headaches, and so what, what did I do? I go into the little, we have a little medicine, I don't know, first aid kit thing, a bin, right? There's a little... I don't know what it's called. All right. We have a little bucket thing. I go in there and I take some of these like coldy zinc like things, right? And I'm like chomping them down, right? I'm eating them, right? You're only supposed to have like two. I'm eating them, all right? That's what I do, right? And then I, then I pounce some NyQuil. Right? I don't use the little cup. I throw that away. I just, right? right? I, get, I get on top of it, right? All right? And all those things, they, they take care of my symptoms, they soothe my sore throat, and they ease the pain of my headache or body aches, and whatever else is keeping me awake at night, right? They, they ease it. But here's the truth. What I, I probably need to do is probably eat a little bit more vegetables, <laughs> right? And maybe exercise a little bit more, right? Work on my overall health so that my body can actually fight off different things instead of me just kind of covering my tracks with, with zinc and vitamin D, right? But here I am, right? Taking NyQuil. I'm thinking I'll be just fine as long as I can get through the night. I'll be just fine, right? This is, this is what most of us do, isn't it, Foundry Church? Isn't it, right? We, we treat the what? Yeah, we treat the symptoms, but do nothing about the underlying conditions. You didn't know you are going to med school today, right? And God knows this about us, and so he calls us to start uh, by loving him with our whole heart. He starts by telling us to get to the root of the issue. I think that too far often we look at the external problems of us forging a lifelong reliance on God. <laughs> Why don't I serve more? Why don't I? I love the people in my neighborhood. They're just so annoying. Why don't I, I share my faith like we talked about last week? Why do I keep looking at pornography? Why can't I just get along with my wife? Why are my kids like I just want to like elbow drop them all the time? Right? Why would, would anyone want to follow me when I am such a screw up? When, when I have such a history, I just can't get right. 
Why would anyone want to follow me? But the truth is, these are just symptoms. They're just symptoms of a deeper heart issue. And that's not to scare us. That's encouragement because we can handle it. We can deal with it. We don't have to just keep covering it. Right? If we work at loving God with all of our heart and loving God with all of our will, our desires, our passions, our affections, those symptoms would be treated, or at least they're going to be put onto the anvil of forging a lifelong reliance on God, and they're going to be worked on. Now, don't, don't let me zoom out. Right? Don't, don't hear this and say, oh, I just got to love God, and then my life is going to be perfect. No. All right? We love God, and we live in his purpose. We do his will. We give him our whole heart, and we are created to live in a purpose that he's created just for us as individuals, and we step into that. And we live an adventurous, abundant, yes, an aggressive, adventurous life, a life to the full like he's created us to live. doesn't mean it's all going to be easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy all the time, but it means that we're living in purpose. And we're living in tune with the power of his spirit. That's what it means. Right? If we truly understood just how good God is, how much he loves us, if we truly know how wide and long and how high and deep God's love is, if we truly understand that the love that sends the son, his son, to die a brutal death on our behalf on a cross, if we truly comprehend that and we, we put that in the, the beginning of our heart and our work and our life, and just how we live, if we truly comprehend that, the, the reckless love of God, it would completely change us. Chains would be coming off our shoulders that are holding us down. Freedom from addictions would be, would be achieved. Reconciliation that we never thought would even happen would happen. That one that we're praying for, to know Jesus, and it just seems like they're never going to know that grace and that love. They'll know Jesus. Well, let's just be honest, though. Right now, some of us, we kind of get this. So we kind of love God. And so we kind of follow him. But if we truly love him wholly, those other things, those symptoms, those those other problems, they wouldn't seem so big, so insurmountable. Or at least we know that we can have the courage, not of our own power, but of the power of the Spirit of God to attack it, to step into it. Right? When we lay these things at the feet of God, a God who loves us, Foundry Church, so much as ours does, our heart can begin to heal. Things can go through the forging process right this is this is why just a few chapters earlier moses tells the israelites this in deuteronomy 4 verse 39 let me read it for you know therefore today and lay it in your heart right it begins here lay it in your heart that the lord is god in heaven above and on earth beneath there is no other he says, this is our God. This is what Moses is saying. There's no other one like him. There is no one who has ever been or ever will be or who will ever love you this much 
So put it in your heart. Put it in your heart. Forge it in your heart that he is the one who has you, who holds you. Right? So, so look at it like this. Right? Do you want to grow as a leader we're following? Lay on your heart that God loves you and view all of life through that lens. God loves you. And like we said before, he's proud of you. You don't got to be perfect for him to love you. You just got to be trying. Right? Even if that trying is just kind of a falling forward, a stumble forward. Right? He's still proud of you. Right? And once we've done that, once we, we are called to love God with all of our heart, right? We're called to love God with all of our soul. In the first five books of the Old Testament, the soul... Right, that word, the soul, refers to one's whole being as a living person, which includes one's heart, yes, but it's so much more than that. For example, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 7, this, I, this was pointed out to me in a small group this week, we are told that God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that man became a what? Living creature. That word living can also be translated as soul. Right? So, so it seems that Moses starts with a call to love God from within, and then it moves one step further. He starts with love God with everything you have, with your whole heart from within, and then he moves one step further, saying that everything about us as a person is to love God. Right? Your whole living is to love God. We are to love him how we talk. We are to love him how we work. We're to love him how we handle our resources and abilities and talents. We're to love him with the television that we watch. We are to love him with the music that we listen to, so on and so forth. So Founder Church, our entire being is this display, our entire outward being is to display that we love God. So again, the question, do you want to grow as a leader worth following? we got to start living like it we got to start living like it for for four decades uh, um Amos alonzo stag do we have a picture of him all right this guy all right for four decades coached football at the university of chicago they were the original monsters of the midway long before the the stupid bears <laughs> borrowed that title all right for decades during the the during and long after Coach Stagg's heyday, you couldn't go too far on campus, the University of Chicago, without bumping into his influence. Not only did he lead the Maroons, that was their mascot, to two national titles in 1905 and 1913, but his football legacy includes a few things that you may have heard of. The huddle, right? the Statue of Liberty play, the outside kick, the T formation, which pretty much is the basis of all football plays now, right? The end of round and the forward pass. In other words, this man, he practically invented football as we know it, right? Super Bowl Sunday in a couple weeks while we're eating soup, right? Thanks to this guy, right? But that's not his true legacy. When he accepted the invitation to coach the Maroons, to coach at the University of Chicago, he gave the university president an acceptance speech of sorts saying this. He said, 
after much thought and prayer, I decided that my life can best be used for my master's service, right? His master, his master's service in the position that you have offered. Amos Alonzo Stagg coached until the age of 98, but he didn't just coach his teams. Right? He, he discipled them, just like we're called to do. Right, just supposed to be like we're supposed to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus who makes followers of Jesus. That's his legacy. Right, he he offered his whole life to the love of God. Every play that he thought of, every signal that he sent in from the sidelines, every speech he gave at halftime, all of it was because of his love for God in his heart and then living, right, his living being. Right? He was a leader that was worth following. And finally, all right, after that, we're to love our Lord, our God, with what? All of our might. All of our might. Now, I think of that, and I think, okay, I can get that one. Right? I can just <clears throat> might through it. Right? I can do that. Right? I think this is the one that I got hands down. I'll just, I'll just grit it out. But that is not really what God is talking about here. The word translated as might or strength in this verse usually functions as the adverb very in the Old Testament. Right? So, so sometimes it's translated as very. So the noun version that we see here only occurs in Deuteronomy. I know I'm, like, I'm geeking out here, right? Pushing my glasses up, right? I'm geeking out, but follow with me. So the, the word translated might and strength in this verse, it functions as the adverb very, V-E-R-Y, right? In the Old Testament. And this noun, this version that we only see here in Deuteronomy and one other place, which itself is just a restating of the passage that we read. And that is in 2 Kings chapter 23, where, where uh, we're told that King Josiah turned to Yahweh, another name for God, with all his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might. So, if the word usually means very, what would it mean to love the Lord with all of our veriness? Right? Veriness. That's what, that's what it means. That's the literal translation of what we're reading, right? Inter interestingly, the, the Greek translation of the word is power. Right? The Aramaic translation is wealth. And both of those may actually be pointing us in the same direction. For the strength of a person is not simply who he is, but what he has at his disposal. Does that make sense? Are, are, are we tracking? Right? Think with me. If Moses' call to love God starts with our heart and then it moves to our being, right? To who we like to our being, could our veriness, right? Literal translation be one step bigger and include everything that we have been given. All of our resources, our time, our, our treasure, all that stuff. Right? Our abilities, our family's abilities. Right? Right? This means that, that the call to love God is not only with our physical muscle, but with everything that we have available for honoring God. So again, do you want to grow as a leader worth following? Start giving like it. Right? God has given us all of a bunch of resources and of talents and of gifts and abilities and, and uniqueness. Right? He created you uniquely. 
to be a part of his family, to be a part of his army, to be a part of a local outpost of his kingdom. You, so own that. Right? The, the way that you are, who he created you to be, your strengths, your gifts, your abilities, your resources. And as we're doing that, look at what Moses tells us to do next. In your Bible, look at verses 6 through 9 of chapter 6, where we were. He says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as as frontlets between your eyes, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now this passage is called the Shema, which in Hebrew means hear or listen. Right? It's actually where we get youth ministry, right? right? This, this is youth ministry. Right? It starts with the parents. You teach your kids. Right? That's a side note. Another sermon. But, but this, this is called like the hear or listen. And, and this is the message that God wanted his people to hear and listen to and then to tell their children. This is the message he wanted them to think about when they got up in the morning and when they went to bed at night. This is the message he wanted them to talk about as they walked to work and they came home from the market and as they were running errands and going to the shops, whatever. This is the message that Moses wanted to leave with the people of God before they went into the promised land. Moses wanted to remind them that people would be following them now. That people were going to be following them now. No matter who they were, their children, their families, their friends, the people they walk with. And, and this is the message they should see. You want to grow as a leader we're following, walk like it now. Right? And you're coming and you're going. People are going to be following you, so walk in the love of God with all of your heart. And you're driving to work, and from work, people are following you. So walk in the love of God with all of your soul. And you're sitting around at the dinner table at night with your family. People are following you. So walk in the love of God with all of your might, with your veryness, everything that you have. And walk in, in the love of God because no matter who you are, people are going to follow you. And so as I call the, the band back up here today, I, I'm going to make a hard left turn. All right? Uh, Christine is laughing because this, she knows this. As the band's coming back up here, I want to talk about secret societies. All right, hard left turn. Right. I know, it's weird, right? But Christina, my wife... She likes to watch these documentaries about cults and serial killers and secret societies. She's weird, I know, but I love her. What can I do? So uh, she was recently watching about the secret societies of Yale University, and it, it, it sucked me in. It pulled me in. Uh, on the campus of Yale, there's this building known as, known as the Scroll and Key, right? Uh, this is a, a great stone-clad mansion in the, the site of one of Yale's university's most renowned secret societies meets inside of this building, and it's called the Skull and Crossbones. 
right, it meets in this building. Each year, they accept only about 15 college seniors at the time, right, at a time. And they accept only the cream of the university's leadership. So like the captains of the sports teams, the, the presidents of all the major campus organizations, the best artists, the, the, the most influential, the intellectuals are all there on campus. That's only the people they select. And once you were in the society, twice weekly, you would sneak inside the mausoleum into this building under the cover of darkness. And in that building, you would find a lavishly furnished space of historic rooms. You would enjoy a huge range. This is where it kind of pulled me in. A range of like great dining experiences, education. Uh, there was relationship building experiences. If you were a member, you would form deep and lifelong friendships and networks. You would sit at tables weekly with alumni that included U.S. presidents who would make trips back to the university, cabinet officers, generals, admirals, captains of industry across the planet. So I, I'm watching this thing, and I'm thinking, how amazing would this be? But I was struck by, by the greatest privilege each member had. They had all this stuff at their fingertips, all these opportunities available to them. But there was one thing that really amazed me that they had. Right? If you were a member of this secret society, you got to choose the next individual to join. You got to choose who would join you at the table, who would join the, the years and generations of this society. You are among the ones who, who got to sit around the table and decide who was powerful enough, who was going to be smart enough, who was just going to be cool enough to join the club. You were a key holder. You were a key holder to someone else's future. And this struck me, right? This struck me, because at the risk of sounding too cheesy, Aren't we members of a great group? Right? Aren't we people who are a part of something that includes deep friendships, learning, education, and even food weekly? <laughs> right? Church Foundry, we are a people who have access to the greatest and to the most powerful thing in this world, in this universe, and that is the love of God, which we can bind up in our hearts with our soul, and with all of our might. And as we follow him, we are key holders for not just someone else's future, but for someone's eternity. Man, I don't get it. Right? Listen, we're plan A. And there's no plan B. Jesus came into this world. Our God came into this world. And he kicked death in the teeth. Right? He defeated death. And he says, you know what? I'm going to build my church. And you guys are going to be my church. You're going to be my hands. And you're going to be my feet. And you're going to go. And you're going to make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey these commandments as I have taught you. Right? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and might. is your plan A. You hold the key. You're going to hold the key. You. 
are going to hold the key. If you want to grow into leaders worth following, then we have to walk in the love of God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our might so that we can hand out a key to the person that is following along behind us. Right? You have to be like Moses to lead people to the promised land and then give them the key to get in. And that's the love of God, the grace of God, the truth of who he is. Last week, when James was here, he talked about how we are responsible for inviting others. Right? We're going through forged, if this is your first week with us. Right? Forged. It's what we are striving to be. It's our growth. We're focused on God's kingdom. We're owning our spiritual growth. We are. We're responsible for inviting others into today. We're going to grow as leaders we're following, right? That there's power, he talked about last week, in a single invite. And today, as we talk about being a person who's worth following, those things are so intertwined, right? All of us have a sphere of influence. All of us have someone who's following us. All of us hold the key to a powerful and life-changing relationship with God. So as you take that little key that you're holding on to right now, that you got on your way in. I already broke mine. But you can get another one. Mine's just the top now. But as you take this key, or as you see the keys dangling on your keychain every day, I want you to think of that one person that you're going to invite. That one person that you know you're going to lead to the love of God. Think about them, right? They're probably popping up in your head right now. And this is the key, this key, or the keys in your keychain, whatever, are going to be a reminder to be worthy of leading them, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might, to grow in your love of God, right? This key will remind you to invite them to Jesus, to invite them to a power that is greater than anything they can comprehend. This key will represent the one person God has called you to invite you and to lead for this year. Let's stand together and worship our God who gives us the power and the commandment to do this. Because it's not up to our abilities. He makes us leaders who are worth following.